it's more of like a societal thing too is I just feel like there's this weird thing where a person or a athlete is only as worthy as how long they can play for and I mm-hmm. think that's one of the most harmful things in our society because it just makes it so that it makes it the rehab process that much harder because like when you have to take a break like they don't see the value and they just see like I don't want to disappoint all these people so This is Strength in the Details, a podcast that goes beyond the classic debate on reps, sets, and exercise programming, and focuses on aligning what matters most in your training, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. I'm your host, Dr. Anaja Newsom, founder of Optimize Strength. I'm a PhD with a focus in the exercise and health sciences, a coach, and weightlifting athlete. With more than a decade of professional experience in sport and fitness, I truly believe that the impact of mental skills, motivation, and self-efficacy are often overlooked and underappreciated in exercise behavior change, sport performance preparation, and everyday coaching practices. You deserve to feel strong in the gym and beyond. And on this podcast, we dive in to the mental aspects of exercise, training, and sport performance. So join me as I invite industry experts, elite athletes, and coaches and researchers to a conversation about the gritty details. At least this is true for me, but participating in sport taught me so much about who I am as a human. Developing an athletic identity over time can help to improve performance, drive the type of social connections we seek out, and the strength of those relationships over time. Athletic identity is a 1968 theory put forth by Eric Erickson, among others, um, that suggests individual behavior, thoughts, and beliefs are guided by who we truly believe we are at the core. Athletic identity has three distinct dimensions, social identity or who we are within our environmental context, uh, friends, family, and teammates, exclusivity, or the degree to which we only define and view ourselves as an athlete by subsuming all other possible concepts, and negative affectivity, which relates to worry or anxiousness about poor performance or not being able to live up to expectations or fulfill our role as an athlete, whether that role is established by ourselves or others. This idea is important and it's complex. And according to Erickson, it's relatively stable across the lifespan, but it does have both positive and negative ramifications. For example, higher levels of athlete identity protects against burnout in youth athletes, but it's negatively associated with depression after an injury, for example. Athletic identity could mean a positive attitude toward challenges and often results in increased intrinsic motivation, but for the aging or transitioning athlete, it could be trouble for reimagining a fulfilling life after sports. Mostly, it's associated with that aspect of exclusivity that really hinders us from imagining life without sport and can lead to poor body image. But it is a fascinating concept that I think impacts us all. So I brought the crew together 
Danny Palmer and Jessica Bill join me on this episode of Strength in the Details, where we talk about athletic identity from both a research standpoint, but also our own anecdotal experiences as practitioners, as coaches, and as researchers. We talk about the training environment and the factors that really help improve athletic identity. And we talk about the rehab process where that identity can often be challenged. It was a great conversation and I'm just so excited. I cannot wait to share it with you. So let's jump in. Welcome back to another episode of Strength in the Details. I am your host, Dr. Anaja Newsom, and I am really excited to be here with my friends. I am here with people that are not new to this podcast. They are OG guests from season one that I am really excited to have back on. So I will allow them to introduce themselves. um, And then we'll get into a really interesting conversation about something that I think will, that I think influences and impacts us all as athletes. Um, Welcome to the show, Danny. Hi. Hello. So I'm Danny Palmer. Um, I am in my third year of physical therapy school, so I'm in my last clinical rotation, and in July, I'm going to be taking my board exam. I have been an athlete pretty much my entire life in just various sports, and I've also had my share of injuries, so I'm really excited to have this conversation about athletic identity. I'm Dr. Jessica Beal. I am a pharmacist. I also have my own practice of working with, um, as a sports pharmacist with athletes um, and organizations on education of nutrition, body image, um, optimizing performance and supplements. And I have also been an athlete for my pretty much entire career and had a few injuries and transitions out of different sports. So I'm super excited for this uh, this conversation with us. The thing that we all have in common and, and what we are going to chat about today is this concept of athletic identity and what that means to individuals and what that means to competition. Um, so athletic identity um, is, is not a new concept. It's the 1968 Eric Erickson definition suggests that individual behaviors as it relates to sport as it relates to athletics competition is guided by kind of the strongest and most uh, pervasive uh, belief about who we are, you know, what we're good at, what what we're supposed to be doing um, at our core. And it really influences what we do on a day-to-day basis. It influences the things that we value, the people that we hang out um, with, Um, the things that we don't do. um, And it really just is at the core who we believe that we are. And I think that that is a really important aspect of, you know, athlete psychology and athlete training and performance, because I think that it, like I said, it kind of crosses over all of those contexts or dimensions um, of sport. And so that's what we're going to chat about. And and really this episode might be a little different than some of my other episodes where it's really like getting into a specific topic and talking about the research and the literature on it. But, you know, I think all of us share a passion for sport, a passion for helping others. All of us are in a helping profession. Um, and, you know, clinically speaking, I think that we see athletic identity impact some of the decisions that we make and some of the treatment that we um, that we prescribe to patients and clients that we work with. So let's just start off with like, you know, I gave kind of the 
textbook definition researcher version of athletic identity, but um, just what does athletic identity mean for you and, and how does that show up for you right now in your current career? Um, I, I feel like the question is like, it's almost like when people ask me like, so who are you? Just tell me about you. Let's like, what are the first words out of your mouth? Like, it's always like, I feel like that is what strong, what I strongly believe in. So it's like, I'm a pharmacist. I help people, but I'm also an athlete and, um, it shows up in my, so I feel like a lot of people can give you that answer by, if you just ask them, like, tell me a little bit about you. Um, you'll feel, you'll be able to see that how much they, um, value them being themselves being an athlete. Um, and I kind of, it's hard now. I feel like I've transitioned, um, a little bit more to like less of a competitive athlete. I still compete. I dealt with an injury and I'm still coming back, but it's one of those things, like, as I get older, it's, it's one of those, like, is it time yet to hang up my, <laughs> to hang up my cleats or my, my shoes and, and like, just enjoy it for the fun. And I still enjoy it, but I think I will always have that competitive edge and always identify as being an athlete my entire life whatever that looks like and whatever age I am in. Yeah, um, I agree with everything that Jess said. I feel like that first conversation with somebody is always really interesting um, because you definitely get to gauge like what they identify is important to them. Um, I also think it's interesting how other people influence that person as well. As like, I see a lot of times in rehab when I have an athlete that comes in with an injury a lot of times they're worried more so about disappointing somebody, whether that be like their coach or their parents or something like that. And so their biggest concern is getting back for that, not only for themselves, but for that other person. Um, and I just think that it's interesting that they put so much pressure on themselves to perform well and to get back as soon as possible um, without factoring in whether or not that's something that they actually want and whether or not that's something that is going to be worth it in the long run. Um, so I just think that from that perspective, it's really interesting. Um, but it's also hard too, because like, I think another thing that kind of factors into it is when you, when you get injured and you're not able to participate in sport, it really, it's, it sucks <laughs> it's probably one of the worst feelings because a lot of times people that's how people make connections is like um through participating in their sport um and I think that that's something that is really mentally hard and it makes the rehab process a lot harder as well because it's like you've just taken away this one thing that like I can that I'm good at that I've given my all to and um so I guess the balance of that is like really difficult yeah, to your point, Danny, I, I think it's interesting when people introduce themselves and you can tell kind of like their first like piece of information that they give you is like, oh, I am Anaja and I am a weightlifter or, you know, mm -hmm. I am, you know, such and such. And this is my sport. This is my activity versus, you know, someone who does not have as strong of an athletic identity. Maybe they're maybe they're athletic or maybe their identity is more so tied to them being a parent or tied to their job or their, their career. And, you know, you know, then it becomes, I'm a nausea and I'm an accountant or I'm, you know, and, and I think there's nothing, you know, kind of wrong with that, but we're just talking about, you know, the athletic identity portion of that. 
um, you know, it really kind of helped, it really, people use athletic identity to define who they are and maybe mm-hmm. like their strongest characteristics. And when you take that, that piece, that competition piece or that athletic or that sport piece away from them, it really either forces people to def- really define who they are outside mm-hmm. of sport or they lose who they are because they can't assign I am an athlete you know, to themselves for whatever reason. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's kind of an interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. I was going to say it's, uh, I think as I've gotten older and worked through different things and with myself or with friends or athletes transitioning, the um, it's scary to actually look inward and figure out what else defines you and what who you are because you've known that for so long of being an athlete. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's scary to be like, well, really, who am I? Like, I'm a good friend and I'm this and I'm giving or, you know, to find some of those other words that, you know, so many people in our society value winning and athletics and achievements and to be defined by something not as like uh, awarding or like you can gauge the level of success. I think a lot of people struggle with that. It's, It's kind of scary to look inwards. Yeah. I think also that like being like a winner and like being really good at your sport, I feel like that's a very addictive feeling. Like I feel like that's just something that there's like no better feeling than somebody coming up to you after a game and being like, wow, you really killed it. Like you were like the best athlete like out there. Um, So when you don't have that option anymore and you have to like go in search of like another kind of I guess, validation. I feel like I agree with you, Jess. I feel like that's really scary because it's like, what if, what if I don't find that? Yeah. Yeah. What if I'm not good at that? Exactly. What if I'm not good at connecting with other people? What if I can't like, um, what if I can't do anything else? And that is like a really, it's a scary thought to have. And yeah. You know, it's, it's so we're talking about athletic identity and how it kind of drives value and it, it drives like who you are and what you do. And I think that there's some positives to having a very strong athletic identity. I mean, the three of us are all connected through the sport of weightlifting. Like we're we're all connected through our identity as athletes and our search for competition and connection and so and you know social atmosphere. And I think that one of the positives for having a strong athletic identity is that you are connected to other people that have very strong athletic identities, which means that, you know, when you can't hang out on a Thursday night because you have heavy squats the next morning, or when you can't do such and such because, or you can't go out to eat because you're, you know, you have to physically prepare for an upcoming competition in a couple of weeks. I think having that strong athletic identity, one, you feel more confident in making those decisions and those sacrifices. You feel like those sacrifices are worth something, but then you're also surrounded by other people who are one going to encourage you to make those sacrifices and they're validating the sacrifices that you're making for the greater good because they also understand because they share in that athletic identity. Mm -hmm. We're athletes. Like, I think there's something about being, especially a female athlete and the, um, the network and the strengths and the confidence Mm -hmm. it gives you and being able to 
hold yourself and understand adversity and um, working as a team and different things like that. So I, there is a, I feel like there's a lot of positives also to a strong mm -hmm. athletic identity. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with all of that. I feel like um, I've learned a lot of my best lessons through like athletics and it's taught me a lot about like persevering, working with people, um, working hard for what I want to do and like to like working hard for what I want to accomplish. They're just amazing. <laughs> I feel like it, they just teach you so much. Um, it's not just about the game. It's about like, it's about learning. It really is a little bit about learning about who you are too, as a person, like while you can sometimes get sucked into that identity of no, I'm just an athlete. I'm just an athlete at the same time. If you just take a step back, I feel like you can learn a lot about yourself as well. I agree. I've mm -hmm. definitely, you know, also learned a lot about myself, a lot about what I value. Um, mm -hmm. And I've also learned a lot about how things are like interconnected. And I think that what I mean, or what I mean by that is that I, I often think about like when I'm going for a lift or when I'm training, you know, what's going through your mind impacts what you do physically and what you do physically impacts how you feel after and how you feel after impacts your, you know, what you do when you leave the gym. And so I've like also really understood how, you know, what I do for 90 minutes a day or 60 minutes a day, or sometimes 30 minutes a day at this point, <laughs> um, impacts so many other things from how you eat to how you sleep to, you know, the things that you put in your body, the things that you don't put in your body, um, the, the, the thoughts that you have, I think that they're so interconnected. And I think when you have a strong athletic identity, you start to realize how important those things are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree with that. I think Seeing like um, I I see it more like on some of like my patients that are dealing with chronic conditions as they've gotten older. Like it's a lot easier to start explaining and talking about you know nutrition and how you feel, and they'll be like, yeah, back in when I played sports, and it's kind of they can you can see like glimmers of it coming back, and they understand um, how they felt. And I think for some people, it's for me, it's helping put those pieces of the puzzle back together. They maybe never had that piece. Um, sometimes they forgot it and they're like, oh yeah, I did feel better when I moved every day and that helped me make better decisions on eating. And that led to me feeling better, which then just full circle around, um, repeat day after day, they started to improve, you know, weight loss, blood pressure, blood sugar levels. And so trying to help people get back to that feeling or that connection. Um, because I feel like when I was a kid, I didn't understand it. It was like, I practiced and then the rest of the day. And so trying to um, help people connect that earlier, I think is, would be, is kind of cool to, once those pieces fall together, it makes you a better athlete and person. There's, so I was reading an article about athlete satisfaction and athlete satisfaction from the standpoint of, um, achieving or experiencing certain environments and certain outcomes as it relates to sport participation and how that impacts both your satisfaction with sport participation and increases your identity as as an athlete can can you all both maybe talk about your experiences with how your environment um, and outcomes of sport participation has impacted your own athletic identity? 
that's a that's a deep one when I was like first competing um when I was like playing volleyball and like competing and I like fell in love with volleyball um I don't know it was like it was everything to me and I think one of the things that I held too highly were other people's opinions about like how I was doing um where like I didn't really feel successful unless like somebody said that like I did a good job <laughs> like I did good during that game or I did good during this I did like whatever um and I think as I've gotten older I've noticed that in other aspects of my life um where I kind of need that little bit of validation to feel like good about what I'm doing um but it's interesting because I've I've literally always had that and like and it's always been like an issue in like other sports primarily I've just recently started getting better at about it in weightlifting where it's like um when you're trying to be an independent athlete and you're trying to I guess trust yourself a little bit more sometimes you can't go to your coach and be like hey like was that good was that bad like sometimes you have to trust yourself um I feel like I've recently gotten better at that in weightlifting but I think it's just because I've gone through it so many times in every single one of my sports and even in my everyday life. So uh, hopefully that answered your question a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I was like, oh, I hope that that makes sense. <laughs> no, no, that's helpful. And I'm sure you're not alone. I think, you know, first, like, I appreciate that vulnerability because I'm pretty sure you're not the only one out there listening to this who has experienced that, right? Like you, we all need some level of validation, right? But sometimes we need a little bit more than others. And I think that there are seasons to that. I think there that sometimes we're going through certain things. Maybe we're learning something new. Maybe there, we're trying to overcome some adversity and we need a little bit more validation externally than maybe other seasons of our life. And I think that as, as athletes, whether our, our athletic identity is strong or not, um, I think that that's something that we all kind of experience and have to work through and go through. Well, kind of when you're talking about satisfaction as an athlete, it made me kind of think of like the environment, the different environments I've trained in or participated in. So like when I first started sport like I feel like I had like the best environment with like good coaches that were lifting you up and kind of just encouraged you like kind of along the lines you were talking about Danny um and made you feel good and it kind of drove you to continue and you're like I'm good at this and I it kept pushing you um and then sadly I've had four environments that I've trained in um my in college is probably the one that highlights the most that um in I, I've talked about this before. I've had a horrible eating disorder in college because of a coach and obviously not satisfied being an athlete, um, dealt with a lot of adversity, dealt with a lot of injury, dealt with a lot of shame as an athlete and felt like I left other people down, myself, my parents, my friends. And, you know, that was super hard. And for years, never, never talked about it. But I felt like a lot of it was the environment just was not conducive for me being an athlete at that point. And my satisfaction was not good. And therefore I didn't feel like I identified as an athlete. I was kind of sometimes ashamed to say I played volleyball because I was not in a healthy state. Um, and then getting out of that environment and getting into a very positive weightlifting environment 
and finding strength and having the support and other people who have gone through adversity, who dealt with different things, um, coaches that are super supportive and help you work through when you're not feeling yourself or lifting you up when you need to. Um, I feel like sometimes the environment also impacts of how you are as a, how you feel as an athlete at that time or how you identify as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to, I completely agree with that in the sense of like when I started weightlifting, um, I was a remote athlete. So I didn't really have like my coach there. I didn't have like a set group of teammates and everything. And I just remember I was, I mean, I was first learning weightlifting. It was really hard. It was very hard. And like, I, I don't even know how I stuck with it. For, <laughs> I stuck with it and then competed. I don't, I don't know how I did that because um, it was hard to like go into training and then just keep missing and nobody telling you like what you're doing wrong. <laughs> so um, now flash forward to now where I have this training environment where I love my coaches. I absolutely love my teammates. Um, everybody is super supportive and like they know when you're having a bad day and they're there for you when you're having a bad day and they like push you. I It's just made my, um, it's made me want to come to the gym. Like, I think people talk a lot about like motivation, like what motivates you, what drives you. And part of it really, a big part of it is because I have fun weightlifting. I have fun weightlifting with my friends. I love seeing them. And that's like, at the end of the day, that's like the one thing that I want to do is like, I want to see my friends and I want to weightlift with them and I want to do all of this stuff. So environment is huge. I think it's huge for like a motivation factor, but um, yeah, I, I feel like I completely agree with you on that, Jess. You know, Danny, you like, I really like that you talked about how like the environment impacts athletic identity, but also how athletic identity kind of impacts the environment. Because I, you know, as you know, I work with a lot of athletes who do have strong athletic identity, but I also work with general population who are maybe just Mm -hmm. approaching general fitness goals, right? Like they've been sedentary or they, you know, maybe they've done some, some group fitness types of classes, but they haven't necessarily, they don't necessarily have a true athletic identity. They don't see themselves as athletes. And so when it comes to overcoming challenges, when it comes to like, you know, barriers that as, as people with strong athletic identities, we work to overcome those. Like, oh, my, my schedule got busy. Like, you know, I got stuck in track. I have all these things that if someone doesn't have a strong athletic identity, those, those barriers keep them from pursuing their sport or showing up to the gym or, you know, persevering or staying consistent. And so I think that, you know, I, I'd be interested to maybe hear how athletic identity, how we can help improve athletic identity, because, I think that that is one of the predictors to adherence, especially later in life, like Mm -hmm. adolescent, young adults, youth, maybe not so much, but as you talk about adults, older adults who haven't competed in sport their whole life, and maybe Mm -hmm. at 35, 40, 45 years old, someone is like, oh, you need to become more physically active for some sort of chronic disease or, or, you know, prevention type of thing. And now they're trying to start this new behavior. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that maybe finding ways to improve athletic identity is key to that, which is one of the reasons that in my marketing for my own like nutrition and fitness, I call everyone an athlete because I think that everyone has the potential to be an athlete. Yeah, I love, (laughs) I love this question because um, I've just had so many experiences where I remember specifically having a patient come in and she said she was like, she had had an ACL tear and she was like recovering. She had the ACL reconstruction. And she even said like, you know, I know that like, I'm not athletic and like, um, like maybe I just like, I just don't get it. But like, um, I just like, I, I would have no idea how that would feel if like I was an athlete and I went through this and it almost like when I was having the conversation with her, it felt like she felt like she didn't deserve like the attention or like good rehab because she wasn't like an athlete. And, you know, and I always tell people, I, you can make anything a sport. I don't care. All right. It's all I like, that's what I say. You know, if you're out there in the garden and you're gardening for two hours and your goal is to get that done, that's a sport. All right. It's competitive. It's competitive for you. Um, and I think that's really important to make people feel like they matter. One of the biggest things that I want to instill in people when I work with them is that they have the understanding that I care and that I am empathetic towards them no matter what they're feeling. Like their pain matters and their goals matter. And I think when you just take that little bit of extra time to have that connection with them and have them understand that like, hey, I have your back no matter what you want to get back to. It could just be walking. Like, I think that's huge because a lot of times people don't see it as a big deal. Like they'll see it as themselves. Like, I'm just trying to get back to walking. I'm just trying to get back to like sitting for long hours at a time. I'm just trying to get back to standing when they have to stand for 10 hours at work. They have to sit for eight hours at work. They have to, they like to garden because that is how they get through the day. That is like their, um, how they handle like their emotional stresses. So I find that when other people do not validate that and they don't take the time to like be like, hey, that matters, there's less motivation there. There's less connection. There's less of that patient wanting to work with you or work for you because it's like, well, they don't care. Why should I care? So um, I'm just... You can tell I get very passionate about this because I just think um, I try my best to look inwards and see all of the ways that I can show up for a patient. And I get very annoyed when um, I feel like somebody is being neglected because of other outside factors. I love that, Danny, that that I love that. And I hope that I do that as for my patients. Like, I feel like a lot of patients don't feel like they're valued. They don't see, they don't feel heard. They don't feel like what they do is good enough. Mm-hmm. It may be their incredible artist, or like you said, they walk. I have some patients, one of my patients, he walks like six miles a day and he's 73 and he has down syndrome in real, like you said, like being on their side and really letting them know that you value what you want to support them and what they value and what they see as important is Mm -hmm. huge for helping them create that identity and having that that connection or that community that that sees that you know that you want to get back to gardening like because your garden looks amazing I mean if you look at my front yard it looks like weeds I don't (laughs) have that skill so um, but some people I'm like if that's what you want to do 
praise you because that's amazing that you can do that. And that's a talent in of itself. It doesn't mean that you have to win a gold medal and post it on Instagram to Mm -hmm. be an an incredible person, have value in what you do and really be, you know, be happy in what you, what you're, what you are doing. And I think in the end, that's the most important that they're happy and they feel like you said, value and connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was reading a systematic review um, because that's what we do as researchers. And that's what I do in my free time is I read systematic reviews um, on, I was, well, I was really looking at like the mental health ramifications of athletic identity. And, you know, we've been talking really about the positive side of athletic identity and how it's helped us perform, how it's helped us stay consistent and, you know, all of the great things that it has done for us as people. And, there are some negative like downsides of this strong athletic identity. And in the systematic review, it was really talking about how athletic identity, um, strong athletic identity, particularly in younger or beginner um, athletes, adolescent youth athletes, and combined with like early sport specialization. Like I think all of us have experienced specialization, but I think, even in that specialization, we've transitioned from sport to sport, um, yeah. which kind of negates the idea of specialization. But, but you know, when you have younger athletes or youth athletes who are specializing earlier, um, having a strong athletic identity can relate to greater senses of like burnout and a motivation and fear of failure. Um, I think those were some of the common concepts that they talked about in this review. And, and I see it as a coach. I see some of my younger athletes or some of my youth athletes have this fear of trying something and they equate failure to something being wrong, um, either with them or the program or the environment, um, and, and I think that that is something that we have to be mindful of and considerate of as we're working with athletes, as we're talking with patients is this idea, you know, someone comes in from an, you know, with an injury and they have this strong athletic identity. Now, how does that impact their, their rehab? Um, You know, Danny, from your perspective, how does athletic identity kind of show up in the rehab space from an injury perspective? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's like pros and cons to it, right? The con, the most obvious cons being that, like, kind of going back to what I was saying before about guilt being a big factor in, um, in rehab, I just see time and time again, uh, these athletes coming in with this injury, like, let's say they have like an acute ankle sprain or something like that, and which requires you to take a little bit of time off, and, uh, they don't see the value in taking the time off, but it's not really their fault because they're getting so many external pressures from everybody else saying like, you need to be back at this, that we have two games this week. You need to be back for this. You need to be back for that, whatever. Um, I mean, I had uh, one soccer player that again was like an ankle sprain and was, had not gotten to like the return to sport aspect of like rehab, who was getting like kind of like picked on by one of his coaches about like not being back. Like, why aren't you back yet? And it was like a grade two sprain. Like it wasn't something that was like super like easy to come back from. Uh, And I was just like, man, I think that people need to 
be more mindful of the words that they choose when they are talking to people in general um and especially people that have like suffered from injuries because you just don't know what they're feeling and you don't know like the pain that they're feeling and I feel like sometimes that can get overlooked and people tend to focus on the sport rather than the person that is behind the sport so they are just they are just focused on the ex like that final outcome that's all they want they just want the win rather than realizing there is a person there that is genuinely like hurt right now and probably needs a little bit more time off maybe I can be supportive in that and like make them feel like hey it's okay if you take the time off like that is fine like you will get there when we need to get there it's more important that you are um that you're better and yeah I just feel like it's just it's more of like a societal thing too is I just feel like there's this weird thing where a person or a athlete is only as worthy as how long they can play for and I mm-hmm. think that's one of the most harmful things in our society because it just makes it so that it makes it the rehab process that much harder because like when you have to take a break like they don't see the value and they just see like I don't want to disappoint all these people so yeah that's a whole mouthful <laughs> no I was like that's a whole lot I, yeah I think you see that I mean I, I feel like social media plays a huge role in that you see people like oh I mean it probably goes to most even women that are like postpartum you see all this the same thing like oh you have to be back you have to be back in this shape you have to be back and playing I mean we all probably watched Patrick Mahomes who went back and played you know what I'm saying and like they're like Mm -hmm. oh and he's back like you only had like this happen your foot isn't completely taken off you should be back Mm -hmm. playing in a week or two like and and I feel like also with the social media people always feel like they're um they will be behind like they're Mm -hmm. falling behind because they're not working forward. So um, work, like even talking with like athletes, I did the other night and the girls, I was like a 15 year old team and they were like, what do you mean rest and recover? And I was like, and like, they are like, no, we just practice, practice, practice. And it was, it was not like in their even mind to think of rest and recovery and rebuilding or anything like that. So I think a lot of it is, like you said, that you can't, you can't fall behind and mm-hmm. you have to keep going and the outcomes are more important than the person. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I think to add to that, you know, some of it is societal and like the prevalence of social media, I will not go down that rabbit hole today, but the prevalence of social media does have its pros and cons. Um, I also think that sometimes it, education can go a long way for athletes mm-hmm. to really understand that taking a day or a week or a couple of weeks off is not going to be a total loss to everything that they've you know built or accomplished because i think that there is this fear of you know maybe i've been training for 6 months or 8 months or a year or whatever and i'm i'm really seeing a lot of progress and boom injury all of a sudden becomes a setback in their mind where mm-hmm. really it doesn't always have to be a setback you know like it's an opportunity to maybe modify and focus on some other aspects of training. Maybe you really work to improve your nutrition. Maybe this is the time where you're really looking to improve, you know, your mobility and your flexibility and, you know, other things that you may have been neglecting because of training. I think that 
Um, so one of, you know, one of, one piece of this is like educating our athletes to understand that taking time off is not necessarily going to wreck all of the progress that you've made. And then the second part of that is understanding that like, you're not going to lose all of your gains unless you completely become sedentary. Even if we're talking about, um, a reduction. So maybe you're not training at 80%, 90%. Maybe you're training at 60%. Maybe instead of five days a week, you're training three days a week. Sometimes that can go a long way in injury management and rehab. And so like, I think that we have to like, maybe find ways to educate athletes on like the physiological side of injury and injury management as well. Yeah you know, there are different things you can do, different skills, like you can do visualization, which they've shown time after time is huge, is really impactful that people, but until you're put in a situation where you can't do anything else. So I think there mm-hmm. is, you can use time off in positive ways, but it's, you have to be a little creative and a little bit look inwards to be like, how can I make this positive? Mm-hmm. This has been so good. And I really enjoyed like really just this chat with my girlfriends. Um, and I hope that listeners can, you know, take some nuggets and really see themselves or hear themselves in this conversation and, um, apply what they need to their trainings. Any final thoughts before we sign off? Usually what I tell all my athletes is that you're always enough is that Mm -hmm. no matter what you do, it's 50% doing anything. You're always enough and you're always loved. It doesn't matter how you, if you win or lose. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> I almost started crying. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. I whatever Jess said, I love that. <laughs> All right. Ditto what Jess said. Thank you so much, ladies. I really appreciate it. Love you guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Before you sign off. If this episode was helpful for you, I'd love to hear from you. Be sure to take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review, and then share with your other strong friends. If you're looking for more podcast episodes or content on fitness, nutrition, sport performance, or if you just want to connect with me for coaching, you can head on over to my website, optimizestrength.co, or follow me on Instagram at PhD. I'd love to hear from this community. If there are topics you want to hear about or guests you'd like to hear from, drop me a note. Until next time, may your squats be strong and your lifts be big. Here's to going beyond the reps and getting to the strength in the details.